second hour of FT Live on the Foul Territory YouTube channel. Chandler Rome actually looks very rested joining us from The Athletic covering the Astros. And I mean, hey, you're going to get more rest now. And I know you're used to working this deep into the year. Chandler, how you doing? And what was your take from yesterday? Were you surprised not just that the Astros lost, but that they got shellacked? Um, I told someone before the game that I, I had absolutely no feeling for how that game was going to go, just because I've seen so many different iterations of this Astros team show up this year. And then the one you got was the Minute Maid Park version of the Astros. Um, it's the most baffling thing that I think I've ever seen. They lost 21 of their last 28 games at Minute Maid Park this season. They lost five playoff, they lost six playoff games in a row at Minute Maid Park. Um, you know, they went seven for 58 with runners in scoring position during home playoff games this year. They, they looked like a completely different team. It looked like two separate teams when they played at home and when they played on the road. And I don't know that there's a great explanation. You know, they tried to, I mean, the batter's eye was a, was a big talking point. They extended it in September, but I mean, at some point you have to look at the other side and say, the Rangers have the same backdrop. The other teams you're playing have the same backdrop and, the Rangers scored 11 runs last night and nine runs the night before. Um, you know, as far as last night goes, I, I didn't expect Christian Javier to only get one out. I mean, this is a guy that they talk about. He's called El Reptile, right? He's got the – he's a cold-blooded, kind of slow heartbeat guy. Nothing gets to him. Martin Maldonado, after the game, pretty much acknowledged that he was too amped up, that his velocity was all over the place. He was – he was overthrowing, and you kind of saw how that transpired. Corey Seager hit the fourth pitch of the game, 440 feet, and then that was kind of the harbinger for everything to come. Um, it was, it, it was, it was an inglorious way for a season to end. But I'm not sure it was that surprising because, I mean, the flaws in this team had kind of shown themselves throughout the second half. The pitching had started to regress a little bit. The starting pitching, especially. Knew they had the bullpen advantage, but when you're asking your bullpen to get 26 outs in a game seven, I mean, that, that's just a recipe for disaster, and, and that's pretty much what happened. But the whole time people are thinking, and even Alex Bregman said, like, well, everyone's counted us out. So everyone's counting them out. Is this a dynasty, or is there too much, is there too much hate? Have they not done enough? We asked it earlier on our poll question here. They've been to the American League Championship Series seven years in a row. Um, that's really hard to do. Like, are they a baseball, are they a major league dynasty? I think that's a, a perfectly fair question for debate. Um, if you want to crystallize, are they an American dynasty? Maybe. I mean, but it, it's really hard to do what they've done. And I mean, you can't take anything away from them. They, they did it, you know, after the, after the scandal came to blight in 2020, they've done this with stricter sign stealing rules in place from 2020 to 2023. Um, you know, it just seems like and, and they've done it, too, with a lot of turnover, a lot of moving parts. They fired their general manager after winning the World Series last year. They let Carlos Correa walk. They let Zach Greinke walk. They let Car uh, Garrett Cole. walk. They let Justin Verlander walk for the first uh, half of this season and then brought him back. They, they've done this despite so much turnover and so much changing faces that it's commendable what they've done. Whether they're a dynasty by a truth of the word, I think that's, you know, that's up to you and kind of how you define honesty, but um, this is not something to, to scoff at or, or to kind of look over. This is really hard to do what they've done. I'm going to bring in a fan question. Highlight 8 said, how did JP France have the longest leash this postseason while getting rocked? How does Dusty keep him in the game that long when other dudes can be dealing 
and still get pulled. Game seven ALCS was France's second appearance this postseason. What did what did you hear from him after the game? I think Dusty was asked about it, right? You know, last night I think really showed two separate styles of how that game was managed. You know, Bruce Bochy went straight to Jordan Montgomery uh, with Michael Brantley up in the fourth inning to, to put that – to squash that and keep the momentum in their dugout, and it worked. And, look, I, I get the rationale behind going to J.P. France there. They had – like we said – Christian Javier gave them no chance. They had they had to cover 26 outs with their bullpen. They needed length of some kind. And J.P. France is a starter. He's down there. He's stretched out for this reason. You know, where I sort of question the process is he – I think he gave up a leadoff single. He struck out Leody Tavares and then walked Marcus Simeon on four pitches that were not close. He had faced the three batters. They had no one up in the bullpen. Then Corey Seager hits the infield single. The bases are loaded, still one up in the bullpen. Evan Carter, two-run double down the right field line. Then they get Hector Neris up. And you kind of wonder, you know, if you're going to use Hector Neris that early in the game, why not get him in there for Seager? I know you can't – but it, it just didn't seem like there was a ton of aggression. It didn't seem like there was a ton of, you know, just – the bullpen management left a lot to be desired. But, again, you look at a game like that, when you're down 3 nothing and your starter gets one out before you can take a swing, it's tough to blame, you know, he should have hit for the guy here or he should have used a high leverage reliever here. Um, that's a tough that's a tough hill to climb. But, you know, there, there were some questionable decisions, you know, letting Marcus Maldonado hit in the fourth inning uh, that early. You know, that, that's what, but that's what Dusty's done all year. And like it or not, he stuck to his philosophies and he stuck to his plan, you know, from game one of the season to game seven of the ALCS, you know, and, you know, I, I think I wrote this last night, you know, patience and faith and positivity like Dusty always exudes. That's great in the grind of 162 game season. When your season's on the line in game seven of the ALCS, I think it, it, it warrants a little more urgent, it warrants a little more action. Chandler, Two questions about this whole situation. I'm going to start with one, talk, having done the ALDS and talking about game four and who he was going to pitch, Dusty was all for Urquidy. So why was Urquidy not in the game before J.P. France? And then after you answer that, then I have a follow-up kind of along the same lines. Well, Urquidy did get rocked in game, game four of this ALCS against the Rangers. I don't know if they wanted to put him back out there against that lineup they – they, they teed off on him in game four. It got kind of lost because the Astros built such a big lead. But um, he he was giving up pockets. He, I think he only got eight outs in that start. Uh, J.P. France threw well against them, uh, against the Rangers in game two. Um, shut them down for a little bit. Let the Astros get back in that game. I mean, if they would have won that game, J.P. France would have been the MVP because he came in and, and really stabilized things. So I think that had more to do with it than anything. You know, they, they saw J.P. France throw well against this lineup in game two. Jose Urquidy did not, so I think that's why France was over uh, Urquidy on the pecking order. Okay, and then as we've, we're going to get to here, but the rumor is this is Dusty Baker's last year, and, and you've reported it with Brett Giroli, but isn't this kind of what's missed with Dusty Baker? These type of games, these bullpen games, these games where everything doesn't go correctly, and that's why he's really never won a game seven, and then you have Bruce Bochy, like you mentioned, with Montgomery. The way he handles it, the way he prepares, that's why he's never lost one of the, these Game 7s. Is it just a mentality thing, or is it Dusty's bugaboo? 
it's the reputation Dusty has, fair or unfair. Um, he has not won a game seven. I believe he's only had two wins in his career in a winner-take-all elimination game. Um, I, I, For me, I can't put last night on Dusty Baker. I mean, he – he gave the ball to Christian Javier, who had been one of the best postseason pitchers the last three or four years. He didn't get the job done. Um, a, a lineup that is constructed to carry this team just didn't hit, didn't hit at home. You know, I can't put last night on Dusty Baker, but but yeah, AJ, to, to get to your point, that is the reputation he's, he's kind of earned. Um, I think this season as a whole kind of showed a little bit of that as well because, you know, last season this team won 106 games with one of the greatest pitching staffs I think any of us have seen. It was really hard last year to go wrong. It seemed like anyone they put in a game didn't matter. They came in and shut everyone down. This year, you know, given the injuries, given some regression, given some variance, um, a lot of moves were more magnified this year. A lot of managerial moves on the margins, a lot of things like that. A lot more magnified this year. And look, you can't argue with the results at the end of the day. This team won 90 games. They won the division. Um, they they caught the Rangers in the regular season. They caught the American League champions in the regular season, beat them for a, a, another division title. So, um, But, yeah, this, is, this was certainly a season that I think uh, some of Dusty's decision-making and some of his preferences kind of really did come more under the microscope this year maybe than any in his Astros tenure. Chandler, two follow-up questions on the future of the manager position for the Astros. One, if Dusty Baker somehow decides that he does want to come back, because I know he didn't confirm that he's definitely done, would the Astros still say, you've got the job, all you? Or would there be potential pushback? And then two is the other route. If Dusty's like, hey, that's it. I'm retiring from this position. Do you think that they I'm, – I'm not going to just say, oh, who do you think they're going to hire? This is tough. It's so early. Do you think they would go more towards the veteran route of like the Buck Showalter, uh, Bob Mel – or you know Melvin switching to the Giants? Um, we're talking to Joe Madden later. Those guys that have been around or the you know Skip Schumacher kind of newer, more recently retired – former player route just based on how the team is being run nowadays, you know, since James click departed and definitely there's different people in charge there. Well, to answer your first question, you know, I'm really not sure. I think Dusty Baker has earned the right given his career in baseball, given his, given his status just as a, as one of the game's true uh, great men. I think he's earned the right to do this on his own terms. And if he wants, if he decides, look, and what Britt and I reported last night is that he has told multiple people, both inside and outside the Astros organization, that that this that this is it. That to, this year was his final year as a manager. Now, obviously, he reserves the right to, you know, maybe he sleeps on it the next couple of days and decides he doesn't want to quit managing. But I, I do think it's fair to, to note that he is not under contract right now. He managed this year on a one-year contract that has expired, so that would require uh, Jim or Dana Brown to offer him a new contract. And, you know, I do wonder whether that is something that they want to do at this point. Um, you know, I think it would be it'd be an awkward conversation to have. Um, and I don't know how it would go, quite frankly. I, I think, you know, it's one of those things that um, until Dusty makes it official, I don't think we want to jump the gun on anything. But, um, you know, to your second question, uh, I think certainly this organization is going into a little more um, they're trending a little more toward blend. Um, you know, it's no secret that a lot of people thought, um, 
you know, this team went a little too analytically heavy, especially under James Click. Some people in the, in the front off, some people close to Jim Crane thought that. And they want more of a blend. They want more of a they, – they don't – they're not abandoning analytics. That, that is not true. Jim Crane's still pumping money into their R&D department. They're still, you know, doing a lot analytically and a lot of advanced metrics. But they want more of a little bit of a blend. So um, I don't know. Do they go the internal route? And, you know, Joe Espada is the name that's going to get thrown around a lot. A guy that's interviewed for a ton of managerial jobs has not gotten them, has been with the Astros since 2018. Um, I think if they want to promote continuity for uh, the the couple of years they still have this core in place, I think that's the logical choice. Um, you know, they also have Omar Lopez on staff, who I, doesn't get talked about a lot. He's the first base coach. He's got 13 years of managerial experience in the minor leagues. He managed Team Venezuela in the WBC this year, got him to the semifinals. So that's a guy, too, that I think deserves a this way. But I do think, you know, with the Astros, you always wonder when these decisions come to pass, who is making the decisions? Because Jim Crane, as I think everyone knows, has a pretty considerable influence in the baseball operations decisions here. You know, Jeff Bagwell has had a prominent voice. Reggie Jackson's had a prominent voice. You know, so my first question before I start kind of compiling a list of candidates is like, who is hiring this job? Is it Jim Crane? Is it Dana Brown? Is it Jeff Bagwell, like uh, who who is hiring this position? Because, you know, if they give Dana autonomy to hire his own manager, then you start looking at, you know, guys he worked with with the Braves. Walt Weiss is there, has managerial experience. Uh, Eric Young is a guy, he was Dana Brown's high school teammate. And he he's on the Braves coaching staff. Do they give him a look maybe? So th there's a lot of moving parts here. But I think they, you know, if there is a managerial search, what the first question they have to answer is who is making the actual hire? All right, a little bit on the game. Chappie, Raldis Chapman, hits the hardest pitch he's thrown. He hits Chaz McCormick. It's the hardest pitch he's thrown all season. After Abreu hit uh, Mitch Garver with 97 in the ribs. Is this more indicative of Chappie clearly retaliating? Or did it show Abreu wasn't throwing at Adolis the other day? You know, take away the hit by take away the two hit by pitches. Brian Abreu was not that effective in this series. Certainly not what he was in the ALDS. Certainly not what he was uh, from the second half of the season on. I mean, I think he entered the postseason on like a thirty inning scoreless streak. Was not effective in the ALCS. This is a guy that made seventy two appearances in the regular season, and then a ton more. This is the most he's thrown ever. Still a young reliever. You know, I, I wonder if fatigue was catching up with him. Um, I'm not here to debate intent or no intent because I don't want my mentions to be blown up any more than they already are. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I wonder if Abreu just some fatigue hit him. The optics of what happened with Adolis Garcia looked awful. I mean, I think everyone on both sides acknowledged it. Even the Astros acknowledged how, how awful those optics look. Um, you know, and but – like you asked about Araldis Chapman and Chaz McCormick last night, you know, if you are the Rangers and you're going to retaliate, I feel like I don't know if doing it to a guy like McCormick is the guy, but I mean, that's the time and the place, I guess, to do it. He hits him in the lower, the lower half. I feel great, but hits him in the lower half in a game that's long since decided. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I'm not here to debate intent or anything like that, but, 
you know, certainly this is a this is a rivalry. This ALCS, I think the silver boot rivalry was certainly reignited in the regular season. This ALCS just ratcheted it up. And, you know, the Astros already have a pretty a pretty hate-filled rivalry with the Mariners in their own division. Um, this one is, is getting up there as well, and it's going to be fascinating to see because the Rangers aren't going anywhere. I mean, this team is going to be just as good next year. The Mariners, if Jerry Depoto and whoever the owner is are listening to Cal Raleigh, maybe they'll spend money this offseason, um, and they'll get better. So this, this is going to be a fascinating sort of subplot to, to next season and kind of how these teams – respond and, and go about each other in the in this American League West race that's looking far and far more tougher than than at any point uh, in this Astros run. Chandler, uh, two names for you for the Astros to name. One is Ron Washington, you know, former Ranger manager, took him to the World Series. Boom, mic drop by the Astros. We're, yeah, we're going to hire your old guy. And two, Eric Kratz, ex-Astro great, known for tripping on red carpet. Think of how many laughs they could get if they hired him. Orange carpet. Orange car, my bad. Speechless. Yep, we, we made him leave. Chandler, you froze for a sec. All right, I, no, I asked Kratz, do you want the job? No? Such okay. a liar. He's, he's low-key lying right now. No, he's not. He doesn't <laughs> want to listen to someone else tell him what to do. I'll take, you off, I'll take you off my candidate list. Um, but I did, have a, I did have a thought. Like, I mean, you say Ron Washington, former Ranger manager, like, I think, you know, Jim Crane likes, he, he likes names. He likes, you know, and he likes, I think, sticking it to um, some of the Astros rivals he loves when they beat the Yankees, things of that nature. You know, Will Venable is Bruce Bochy's right-hand man in, in Texas. Um, he's about as close of a blend as you can find a guy that has played, he's a former big leaguer, um, went to Princeton, a, a very nice blend of, you know, gut and analytics, you know, I, I know he is de, de, I know I think he declined an interview with the Mets for their managerial opening, but it wouldn't wouldn't surprise me, you know, Jim Crane plucking the Rangers top coach after the Rangers just beat the Astros in the ALCS. You know, I, I could see that. I will and Will Venable interviewed last time for this job when Dusty Baker got it. So that, you know, a little bit younger, but another maybe former former Ranger guy that could could get his name in the mix too if there is an opening. I want to ask you about the Rangers. Are you surprised that they turned it around this quickly? I mean, people are going, oh, they lost 100-plus games two years ago. Last year, they lost 94 games. Forget two years ago. Last year, they were six losses away from a hundo. And in the Athletics newspaper this morning, or newsletter, I should call it, um, they took us back to a quote from GM Chris Young at winter meetings when he was talking about getting Bruce Bochy in and, and their free agent pursuit. I'll read it to you because I thought it was fascinating because it kind of puts in perspective where they thought they were at. He goes, the way I framed it was, it's hard. There's hard work ahead. We're still building. The reward will come, but it's not a situation where you're stepping in and getting immediate reward per se. You're coming in at a time where you're going to be part of the solution and there's a path to the reward. Does that factor in your decision? Is that something you're opposed to? It sounded like for the Rangers, their ceiling in their mind was, of course, everyone's like, hey, we want to win a World Series, but they were being realistic going, hey, if we sneaking a wild card this year, that's a big step from what we were just at. So how much do you feel like everyone has been surprised at how quickly they were able to pick up more free agents, do things at the deadline, and build themselves into an ALCS winner that didn't have anybody starting games last year in terms of their starting pitching staff versus what they had in the ALCS? All those guys were fresh. 
I mean, you say that, and they have a $500 million middle infield. Um, and, and, like, I, I think certainly they didn't – for the first three or four games of the ALCS, neither Corey Seager nor Marcus Simeon did much. But, I mean, you saw Seager come alive last night. Simeon reached base five times in game six. Um, so you start there. You start with you get what you pay for, and, and they – those two guys are, are crucial, but I mean, for this, for, for teams to do what the Rangers are doing right now, you need young guys. You need kind of surprises to come out of nowhere. Um, you know, I think they thought they were getting a good pitcher in Jordan Montgomery at the trade deadline. Did they think that he would be this in the playoffs? I don't think if you hooked him up to truth serum, I, I think they thought Max Scherzer would be that guy, but they got Jordan Montgomery and he is pitching at a level that, um, he's pitching at the best level of his career. And then you had Evan Carter come up, a 21-year-old kid, kind of reminiscent to Jeremy Pena last year. Um, you know, Pena was up all season, but Pena was kind of that surprise in the in the playoffs that really propelled the Astros. Evan Carter, you kind of get vibes off of that. Josh Young had an unbelievable rookie year. And then, you know, you look at Adolis Garcia, he had his star turn. Um, and then they got Bruce Bochy in there who um, – I know we're, we're debating nowadays how much managers truly matter and how much, you know, managers influence matter. I think Bruce Bochy um, shows us that it can and it does, you know, to bring him in a guy that has done this before is an established. This will be his fourth trip to the World Series. Um, he is he's done everything. This is a Hall of Fame manager. And he came in, you know, honestly, much like Dusty Baker did in 2020. Now, Dusty Baker didn't have a culture that he had to fix. He didn't have a culture that he had to go in there and, you know, teach guys how to win. But, you know, Dusty Baker came in here and was a calming influence, was a stabilizing guy that allowed this team to just go play, to just play free. He let he left the guys their own devices, kind of let them do their own thing, and they thrived. And I'm not in the Rangers clubhouse every day. I don't know if that was a similar thing with Bruce Bochy, but these guys trusted him. And it really did seem just from the interviews they gave and kind of how they played for him, it really seemed like the rapport between Bochy and that clubhouse really, really worked. And so, I mean, is it surprising? Not really just given that how aggressive they were to go out and make their intentions known that they were going to, they were going to contend. They wanted to contend. They wanted to challenge the Astros and, and you know, now they beat them. So, Am I surprised? Not uh, not totally, but I guess the cast of characters that did it. Like when they traded for Max Scherzer at the deadline, I guess I would have thought Max Scherzer would be the pitcher we'd all be talking about after the ALCS instead of Jordan Montgomery. You know, I didn't think maybe we'd be talking about Adolis Garcia and Evan Carter. I thought we'd be talking about Marcus Simeon and Corey Seager. So um, some of the complimentary pieces that they have really shined, and it helps when you've got superstars on top of those complimentary pieces. So let's finish with a peek at the Astros offseason with the roster, whether it's for this year or looking ahead at upcoming free agents. Anything that you're keeping a really close eye on? So, and I'll throw a couple names in the mix, which obviously are talked about a ton. Both Kyle Tucker and Alex Bregman are going to be free agents after next season. Could that lead to a trade if they make offers right now and they don't feel like they're going to get extensions done or do we look back and we barely covered it just because there was a lot going on during that time. But at the Dana Brown comments, basically saying, book it, Kyle Tucker's staying here long-term, which is bold. You don't see that very often. I loved it, but I'm like, okay, Kyle Tucker's agents in camp love it too. We're getting back to the question about the manager, right? Who's making the decisions? Um, you know, Dana Brown, I don't, I, I think Dana Brown is bullish and he's very, 
Um, he's very optimistic a lot. Um, I think we have to remember what the Astros have done in free agency and what they've done extension wise in the Jim Crane ownership tenure. Um, their largest free agent deal remains four years and $52 million. That's the longest to Josh Reddick. They gave three and 58 and a half to Jose Abreu last winter, a deal that until September looked pretty terrible. Um, now, give Abreu credit. He, he rebounded in September, had a great playoff run for them. They have to hope that that carries over. And then extension-wise, the two longest, the two biggest extensions they've given, they gave Jose Altuve $150 million, and then they gave Jordan Alvarez $115 million over six years a couple of years ago. So um, Kyle Tucker is going to want more than that. I, I, know his, I know he had a terrible postseason, but that shouldn't really mar what he did in the regular season. It was almost a 30-30 guy. Um, led the team in war. Um, he's going to want more than that. Alex Bregman quietly had a very, very, very good season, probably one of his better seasons um, as a big leaguer. He is going to want more than that. Um, you know, they're going to have to be uncomfortable um, doing some of these deals if they want to get Bregman done, if they want to get Tucker done. You know, I can't envision a trade of either of those guys. If it, if it comes to a point where you know, they decide that they're not going to extend these guys. I can't envision that because Jim Crane wants to win. Um, he, he, he is a winning first and foremost guy, and trading either of those guys diminishes the Astros' chances of winning next season, especially in a division where they're going to need those. Um, and then otherwise, you look at this team, a lot of the same faces are going to be coming back. You know, their biggest free agents are, are Martin Maldonado, Michael Brantley, and then the bullpen, Hector Maris has a player option that he's all but certain to decline. Uh, Ryan Stanek and Phil Maton are also free agents too. So what are they looking for? They, they probably need another veteran reliever. Um, another outfielder would, would, would help. And then, you know, they need to do this winter what they didn't do last winter. And that's fortify the rotation, um, get another veteran arm in here to, you know, give them some depth. It doesn't have to be a frontline guy. They return Justin Verlander. They return Fromber Valdez. Um, Christian Javier will be back too, but, you know, we saw this season the folly in thinking that you can get by with, you know, I think they came into the season with six or seven starters. They, that's what they thought they were going to enter spring training with, and that blew up in their face. Um, you know, Hunter Brown and J.P. France came up and did commendable jobs, but they both were were tired at the end of the year. They need to fortify the rotation. I think they need another veteran arm in the rotation. So that'll be something they look at, too, and um, – yeah, I, I think this this team certainly, as it's constructed and what it has coming back, certainly it's going to be the same faces, same sort of core. Um, you know, to expect another kind of run like they had this year, maybe make it eight straight ALCS appearances, and and maybe see if they can get over the hump, get back to the World Series. Yeah, the window is still open for them, no doubt. Chandler, thanks for joining us, dude. Right after the uh, you know the hangover from last night, appreciate you and all your coverage over there at the Athletic, and we'll talk to you in the off season, man. All right, thanks, guys. Cheers. Chandler Rome. You can follow him on Twitter. We'll post his info there for you along with some of these clips. And in my mind, I mean, he's right. Houston is going to be active in the offseason, but they don't play even close to the top of a market. I mean, that's like when we talk about how the White Sox don't sign $100 million players, right? And it's not like a small market team. It's Houston. Houston's what, like the sixth biggest TV market 
I, I believe I think it might be bigger than that. It might be like third or fourth. It's high. Whatever it is, it's high. I thought it was New York, LA, Houston. Are they third? They're whatever it is. They should be spending more than four years, fifty-two on Josh Reddick uh, a generation ago. I thought it was Chicago. Yeah, that sounds right. <laughs>